Who actually owns the water? This was the question that Bob Peterson's fifth graders had when they began to study water at their elementary school in Milwaukee in 2004. Who, they wanted to know, owns the oceans? Who owns the rain? Who owns the streams and the lakes and the reservoirs? And if the answer was that the public owned them, or if governments owned them on behalf of the public, or if they were supposed to be shared among people, then why, they wanted to know, were there so many people without access to clean water on our planet? It's easy for most Americans to take water for granted. Until recently, we were pretty convinced that we had to drink eight glasses of the stuff just to stay healthy every day. Even now that we've been permission to cut, given, been given permission to cut back a little on the hydration, we still understand water to be a basic element of our health and well-being. It's available in bottles, from taps and public drinking fountains in many places. We get it sparkling or still, imported from Fiji or underground springs in Maine, or bottled from the Hoboken City Supply and given a fancy name. We've all got it piped into our houses, whether from wells dug in our yards or public water supplies run by our cities and our towns. And there are more than a billion people around the world, at least one out of every six people on this earth who can't get safe water. Some estimates of the number of people who lack access to clean water, including the figure of the World Health Organization, run as high as 1.7 billion people around this planet. And it's not just people who live in the desert. Environmental contamination, bad governmental and intergovernmental policies, and the whims of global capitalism have conspired in many places to prevent people from having access to safe, affordable clean drinking water. This is true despite the fact that the United Nations in 2002 declared water to be a basic human right. One of the main reasons behind this is the growing trend toward the privatization of government-owned water systems. Listen to these stories of the effects of privatization collected by the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, our faith movement's partner, in working for international human rights. Cochabamba, Bolivia. When the World Bank required Bolivia to privatize the water system in Cochabamba in order to receive a loan for a new dam, the city signed a 40-year contract with the subsidiary of Bechtel Corporation, an American company. Within weeks, the corporation imposed a 35% rate hike on local water users. The rates were up to 25% of a family's income. Thousands of people took to the streets. The military was called in, and one person was killed before the government of Bolivia canceled the contract. Bechtel sued, of course. In January of 2006, their $25 million suit was settled for 32 cents, plus legal fees. In Accra, Ghana, water prices rose 95% after privatization, a condition of their loans from the World Bank. 
Overnight, families earning less than $1 a day, and those families constituted 50% of the population in Accra, had to pay double for a bucket of water. In the slums of Accra, families there too were paying up to 25% of their daily income just for water. South Africa. The collective impact of water privatization on the majority of South Africans has been devastating. In spite of the fact that the South African Constitution guarantees free basic water, the free communal tap system was changed in that country to a privatized prepaid metering system in 2000. As a result of the restricted access to clean water, over 120,000 people have been infected with cholera and over 300 people have died. And lest we think that this is a problem unique to the developing world, here is another story. Detroit, Michigan. Over 40,000 Highland Park and Detroit families learned about the problems of water privatization in the time it took them to turn on the tap and have nothing come out. In 2002, the city government of Detroit decided that the only way that they could possibly repair and reinvigorate their old, debilitated public water system was to sell it to the corporate sector for someone to run for profit. Now, in order to make their system attractive to a company to buy it and more marketable, they hiked the rates and they turned off the taps of people who couldn't pay the new rates. And suddenly these 40,000 families, mostly African-American woman-headed households, became part of the many people in our world who do not have access to clean drinking water. The Michigan Welfare Rights Organization took the city of Detroit to court. Citizens there were not fooled into thinking privatization was a better alternative. And the Highland Park City Council rejected a proposed 10-year contract by a vote of 4 to 1. According to the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, cities from Atlanta, Georgia, to Stockton, California have investigated privatizing their water systems. Atlanta canceled their contract with United Water Suez in 2003 after residents there experienced dirty water, non-functioning fire hydrants, and five incidents in one year that caused the entire city of Atlanta to be warned that they needed to boil their water before drinking it. Can you imagine being asked to spend 25% of your family's income on your water bill? I can't. This is an issue simple enough that Mr. Peterson's fifth graders were able to figure out that something was wrong. One of his students, a girl named Ivory, after comparing water prices in Milwaukee and Mexico, wrote this on behalf of her group in, in her report. She wrote, In Chilpancingo, Mexico, people pay three cents for a gallon of water. That's about 20 times more than what people pay in Milwaukee. In other words, we can get 20 gallons for what they pay for one. And people in Milwaukee make more money in the first place. She finished her report with this. In conclusion, we think everybody should pay the same prices for water as in Milwaukee. It's not fair that in Chilpancingo, people have to pay so much money for so little water, especially because it takes up about half of their salary. For the amount of money that people in Tijuana pay for 44 gallons, we in Milwaukee could get 1,000. 
we learn that water is expensive in some places, and in some places it is cheap. In Bolivia, people, the people protested to keep the price of water lower. Next time I drink a cup of water, Ivory wrote, I am going to think to how much it's going to cost in other places. And this could happen here, too. Just a few weeks ago, I read an article in the Times about cracks in the Delaware aqueduct, the aqueduct that supplies some half of the 1.1 billion gallons of water that those connected to the New York City water system use every day. 1.1 billion gallons of water a day. The water leaking from those cracks is already flooding basements in Ulster County. And more severe damage is forecast in the not-too-distant future as those aqueducts age. Could New York City be the next government that weighs the possibility of privatizing its water supply? That possibility exists, and it's not a pretty one. Privatization is not the only thing threatening global water supplies. Runoff from chemicals used in agriculture, strip mining, and poor sanitation have made vast supplies of fresh water undrinkable all around the globe. In many places on our earth, obtaining even minimal amounts of unsafe water is a full-time job. This job falls more often on women and girls who are then unable to go to school or to have jobs, exacerbating gender inequities already in place because of sexist societies. The World Health Organization's publication on the human right to water tells this story. Napogo Garigo lives in the Tambuag of Tenguk in rural Ghana. She does not know her age, but is probably about 12. She comes to the water hole at 5.30 every day to collect water, and it takes about three hours to collect the water she needs for her family. Napoga does not go to school. She likes the taste of the water, even though it is very muddy. Napoga does not boil the water before drinking it. A man standing nearby said that there was no need to boil the water as it did not contain any living things. Yet animals also drink from the same water hole. Klaus Topfer, executive director of the United Nations Environment Program, writes that human rights cannot be secured in a degraded or polluted environment. The fundamental right to life is threatened by soil degradation and deforestation and by exposures to toxic chemicals, hazardous wastes, and contaminated drinking water. Environmental conditions clearly help to determine the extent to which people enjoy their basic rights to life, health, adequate food and housing, and traditional livelihood and culture. Global climate change and development patterns cause us to face problems with water as well. New patterns of rain and drought are becoming evident even in this country, making places like the southeastern United States drier than ever before as its population is simultaneously booming. The states like in the southwestern United States are already seeking outrageous solutions to their looming water crisis. Now, me, I'd say that two million people shouldn't live in the middle of the desert, but the people of Phoenix are not likely to move to Michigan. Indeed, they want to instead build water pipelines to either or both of the Great Lakes or, get this, northern Canada. For now, the Canadian government is opposed to it, 
But when the price of water goes up, will they still be? Faced with the possibility of billions of dollars in revenue, perhaps they will relent on the construction of the proposed Texas to Manitoba water pipe. Seriously, Texas to Manitoba. Canada, which the Sierra Club of Canada estimates has some 20% of the world's fresh water supply, might be the future Saudi Arabia. So what can we do? First, we can conserve water. Even though we happen to live in an area in which for now has enough water, developing more sustainable habits in the present will serve generations to come as those water supplies become more scarce. Next, we can support organizations like the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee and their global partners who fight to protect the rights of poor people around our globe to clean and safe water. We can work with our government to provide aid to nations seeking to improve their water systems. We can ask the United States to support reforms in institutions like the World Bank so that water privatization is not forced on more communities. Third, we can commit ourselves to cleaning up our planet and reducing the impact of global climate change. That might mean consuming things that cause less pollution. It might mean working together to reduce our carbon footprints. Over the next year, I hope our whole fellowship will work with the Social Action Committee to green this community. Finally, we can work to protect access to water for poor people in our own backyard. Does anyone here know what happens to people in Mount Kisco who can't afford their water bills? Because I don't. Are there programs in place to help them, or do they just turn off the water? We need to find out. Every 15 seconds, somewhere on this planet, a child dies of a disease related to water. Diseases of poor sanitation, dehydration, malnourishment. These diseases are preventable if only people had access to clean, safe water. If only people's right, human right, to water was honored. And even Mr. Peterson's fifth graders could tell you that. May it be so.